Okay, so as I do know, I'm in the midst of reading a book a week. Yes. Because I have no life, and this is the goal I've set for myself for 2023. No, but that's also, like, a good goal. It's just to keep me off the TikTok, which is moderately working. Not (laughs) this morning, but, like, in general, it's working pretty well. That's fine. You're on track for your books. Who cares? Exactly. I'm allowed to, if I've educated my mind, watch some rot. You're a grown woman. You can do what you want. (laughs) Truly. (laughs) I can't even say it without laughing. Yeah, I know. It's like, I shouldn't be in charge of myself. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so one of the books I was reading was recommended by Ruby's co-worker, who, after I was describing one of the other books I'd read, which was A Tale for the Time Being, he yes. was like, oh my god, this one sounds like you'd like it. And it turns out it was by the same author. Right. So it's called My Year of Meat, and it's excellent. And it's about this woman who is, like, Japanese-American, and she is making a TV show, like a reality show, for, like, Japanese housewives is the audience that they're trying to get it for. Mm-hmm. And it's her, like, trying to sell them meat. Incredible. Because, like... The American meat industry is sponsored this program, and it's is just, it in hmm. any way real? Because like I know that like Tell for the time being is like semi autobiographical in parts, but um, I think that it might have like some kind of like interpersonal stuff that she mm-hmm. feels very comfortable dealing with, uh, but I don't think that the reality television right. show is necessarily accurate then again maybe it is but it's also definitely very clear that she did a lot of research into like the meat industry in America and how deeply concerning it is and it's also like it's written when was it written not like I think it's over 20 years old. Yeah. So, like, there's obviously significant changes that have been made since then. Mm-hmm. But also significant changes that weren't made, necessarily. <laughs> anyways. Or changes were made, but for the worst. Yeah. So, anyways, good book. Meat's weird. Meat? I mean, please. She's crazy. Me, tell me why I don't eat it. <laughs> Honestly, though. So, today on this podcast... Which is pantry staples. Where we dish on your fave foods. I am Marika. And I'm Emily. And that was a sick, very tight intro. Am Truly. I the new queen of intros? Maybe you are. We're like under three minutes. It's incredible. Okay. Um, we're talking about dry aging. Yeah. And the subtitle is A Ritual of Controlled Rot. Ooh. So tattoo that on your bodies. Let's go. Ritual of Controlled Rot? That's yeah. like the title. That's like the first single off of our punk band. Oh, I want to do it so bad. If I had any musical talent, we'd be doing this. <sighs> yeah, I can't play an instrument. <laughs> you can sing at least. But can I sing punk? Like, I don't know. I think anyone can sing punk if they really, really put their heart and anger into it. I don't know. It's a lot of work to, like, scream without ruining your voice. No, that's fair. But I just feel like, again, you have to channel that rage. I actually had a dream. Um, Not, a, like, not actually, like, a, mm. a sleep dream, but, like, a kind of, like, a joking mm. yeah, yeah. dream for my life. Um, Blake's friends were temporarily in, like, a metal band. Oh, and I was like, I want to be their front woman. And he was like, no. <laughs> they Honestly? don't do vocals. <laughs> I think you could pull it off. I agree. I feel like it would have been like hilarious, like ironic. Like It's so funny that you're talking about a punk band too, because I literally read another book for this year of books. And in it, it was like a fantasy novel set in like modern day Michigan <gasps> about this woman who was like the lead singer of a band. It wasn't necessarily punk. It was like rock and roll, but yeah. And that's really like, you're really keeping all the books fresh in my mind. Good. That is the point. That's why a person reads. Truly. Honestly though, you guys, like if anyone wants a book recommendation, I got you because I have not read a single bad book so far this year. Incredible. Um, yeah, so you can reach Emily at Pantry Pod on Instagram. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what to read. Don't even worry about it. She will recommend a book. Mm-hmm. We can do book club. It's cute. Anyways, Aww. let's talk about dry aging. Yeah. But before we talk about dry aging, mm-hmm. 
let's talk about just eating meat in general. Oh, okay. Yes. Two million years ago. <laughs> You're in your wheelhouse. Yeah. Uh, everybody's like, oh, finally, we're back to this. <laughs> um, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, so it's fine. No, There's nothing like to it. say two million years ago, except for it was a it was a weird time. People were living in Africa, mm-hmm. and they were eating plants. Mm. <laughs> that was them, eating berries Just and plants. Picking it up, like a, lo- a long extended arm. And yeah. Like a little... Exactly. That was the exact thing. And then they started eating meat. But how did they start eating meat, you might ask? I don't know. Were they expanding their agricultural know-how? No. Oh. They were just finding shit on the ground. Oh, of course they were. They were it wasn't like, it's so interesting because it's not hunter-gatherers like we would assume. Like, we have all these really lovely cave paintings that have this very, like, intense visual, like, presence in our minds. Yeah. But that's not at all what it is when we first start eating meat. Right. It's just like, here's something dead on the ground. Let's get to it. Yeah, humans are scavengers. I mean, we don't like to admit it, but it's But it's like, the truth. We're the vultures on, we're vultures on two legs. Yep. Just no wings, which frankly makes us worse than vultures yeah i think that's actually maybe our complex like the root of all human evil is the fact that we are vultures but we can't fly so sad also i'd love to discuss that in further detail (laughs) with you i'd like to write a paper on that um anyways so scavenging carcasses that's how we got here makes so much sense and when i say got here i mean this turned humanoids in or hominids sorry humanoids hominids (laughs) into humans Mm -hmm. because you need that concentrated source of protein you need all that fat all those nutrients that you are not getting in that same quantity i mean pound Mm -hmm. for pound you can't compare dead meat to plants you just can't i know and like said with no shame. No, I know. I mean, it's this is the I didn't get here to call it to be called out. But it's like we live in a time now where it's like I we don't need that shit. We now. don't need it. We have synthetic versions. versions. Yes, but like at Other a time when protein. you were trying to like develop your brain into a slightly larger brain, yeah, you needed the meat. Yeah, like the fats to mm-hmm. proteins to like just to iron to literally you can't to evolution. Yeah. Evolution requires <laughs> so. This is one thing that it changes. We're now going from hominids to humans. And we're also going from, like, Africa, where it's hot and we can always just grab a snack when we want one, to other places further afield. Uh-huh. You can't go and live in the fucking cold, and cold like, Asian and European countries and just be like, I guess we'll just take our chances with the plants and see how it goes. No. You can't do that. That's, that's a suicide note. Plants don't live for, like, half the year. Yeah. But you know what does? animals Mm -hmm. so that's what's allowing us to geographically expand further afield than ever before is that did was there any readings where that's like what's driving us to expand further like are we is there a point where ancient humans are like chasing animals they're like i don't think it was to do with that at the beginning at least no because when you actually look at it we don't start really like hunting gathering until a hundred thousand years ago so Mm -hmm. between two million to a hundred thousand or a hundred thousand very long time of us just kind of fucking around. That's so recent. Like yeah. in, I mean, humans again, themselves I'm, are. So recent. And again, I'm sure that we were doing like some hunting gathering things, but I don't think it was on like a large scale or like super culturally significant. I think it was just like the one-offs. Whereas 100,000 years ago, we see these cave paintings starting to be developed mm-hmm. of us actively searching out animals, which was it you that sent me this TikTok or was it me that sent it to you or did I just see it and then tell you about it or one way or the other about how they've recently discovered that um, the cave paintings are not just cave paintings of animals. They're calendars about like the life cycle and like breeding cycle of animals. 
Ooh, I think I have seen that, but I don't think I sent it to you or you me. I think we just, our TikToks are sinking. I hope so, because my TikTok feed sucks, frankly. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. I curate bad quality content. It's fine. Um, anyways, so it's obviously at that point very central to their life. Yes. This, like, what's happening with animals. They're keeping track of when new animals are being born, when they're at their weakest, when they're, like, at the leanest, all of that kind of stuff in this calendar that you're seeing in these cave paintings. They're making an almanac. Exactly. Thank you for using the word almanac. I love the word almanac. It's very good. Um, One of the things that we see in these cave paintings, though, besides this calendar, is, like, a real depiction of how they think about animals. Mm. We see, like, these animals as very strong, very virile, um, and that's really how we think about meat. I think from like the get-go if we look at any sort of depictions of eating meat or any sort of like very ancient stories about it mm-hmm. obviously this is a significant jump from the hundred thousand to like say 200 bc or like on zero kind of scene, yeah. whatever like the way that we're talking about it is like feasts where it's very much like we're celebrating that somebody was successful in a hunt Mm-hmm. that is them being strong that's them bringing strength back to the community like those sorts of things like the imagery is very like potent on that i think yeah and that's so interesting like that seems to translate even now into mm-hmm. the way that we think and talk about meat eating 100%. and like even like not to really get into it but to like the idea of like like a vor mm-hmm. uh, where you're like you are consuming another entity's like mm-hmm. power and strength and yeah. Um, like, like their, their being. Their life force and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. No, 100%. And it's, I think, again, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but mm. like the fact that we are so far removed from our food. Yeah. It's not, it's, that idea isn't removed from the imagery necessarily though, or like no. the idea of it. Um, like it's big hearty men that eat steaks. <laughs> like it's at the core of it, you know? Yeah. And it almost feels like because we're so removed from the like production mm-hmm. of the food of the meat itself, like we are even like building up mm-hmm. to a greater extent, that idea of like, oh, you totally. are a big hearty, strong mm-hmm. person for eating yeah. this animal. And, like, not, we'll get off this tangent in a minute, but, like, (laughs) isn't it so interesting, the idea of, like, the way we think about, like, or not the we think necessarily, but in general, like, people who go out and hunt animals Mm. think of themselves as, like, these real, like, tough guys, and, like, it's very, like, manly, and that's, like, a very masculine pursuit, when really we've never had more ability to kill things in our lives. Like, you'd literally just go out (laughs) there and shoot a fucking gun. Like, you're not taking this thing down with your bare fucking hands. Calm down. You haven't whittled a spear. I mean, and and I've actually... Yeah, like I, I've kind of come around on hunting. Like I think if you are oh, going totally to eat fine meat, you hunting, be, you should be able to like kill Look an it in its face. Truly, like do all of the dirty work mm-hmm. of, yeah, attaining this Oh, totally sustenance. fair. I have no issues but, with the hunting of it. I have exclusively issues with the way that we portray hunting. Yeah, like I don't, I don't need like a Cabela's Ugh. aesthetic. <laughs> no. Mm. Anyways, all of this said... Mm-hmm. Meat, not a huge part of the diet until the Industrial Revolution. No, like we're calling it hunter-gatherer, but it's like gather and hunt? I guess hunt if we have time <laughs> if for you... it, if there's anything around. And like when we're looking at like urbanized cities yeah. in that time period of like, of like a very historic time period when we're looking like the Middle East, that sort of thing. Right. We're not looking at people who are having like ancient Egypt. 
the average Joe isn't having meat every single day. Yeah. They're maybe having it for feasts, for like big celebrations. Mm -hmm. It's the wealthy that are having meat, which to an extent is still the same now, but like not nearly to the level that we're having it, which we'll get into as well. Yeah. Do you, and this is probably, this is a tangent that doesn't, Mm. that's not related really, Mm. but any, um, any research on like, like the fish? consumption like that's like more of like a peasant food as Mm -hmm. well like yeah yeah no i didn't do a ton of research Uh on it but just in terms of like things that i do know in general if you are by land it's because you are hunting fish right like that's Mm -hmm. that i think happened quite a bit sooner yeah than like any of that sort of like meat things because again it's something that you can do quite easily compared to like taking down a buffalo is a lot harder than just grabbing a fish out of the ocean yeah it's a lot more of expended energy exactly Mm -hmm. and like that's what we're talking about as well it's like it's too costly to keep grazing land exclusively for animals (sighs) as opposed to keeping it for plants that you can eat if you're growing grain for human consumption that's immediately calories that are into your body as opposed to i mean if we look at it now it's eight pounds of grain to produce one pound of beef Yep. Not to mention the water. Yeah. No. Again, just not even getting into that. So, as I said, meat reserved for the rich and special occasions. Like, think about all those fantastic feast scenes in the Iliad or the Odyssey. Like, there's so many of them and it's so formulaic, but it's because everybody knows exactly what goes down when you finally have meat on the table. You make it a big fucking deal. Because it is a big It is a big fucking deal. So, industrial revolution. Or, er, re- re- can I say words? <laughs> industrial revolution. I like the industrial revelation. The industrial revelation. They learned some things. But also. They didn't. It was, yeah. Was it the best of times and the worst of times? The blurst, yes. Yeah, the blurst. Um, beginning with Europe and Americas in the 19th century, industrialization made meat gradually and generally less expensive and more widely available. Yes. We're doing development of managed pastures and formulated feeds. So what they're actually eating, grazing, is easier to come by and they've made more efficient ways of doing this. Breeding of animals for efficient meat production. Mm. Grody, but good. Well, yeah. Is it taking me all the way back to like grade 10 socials? It's like, Mm. les cloitures. Oh, oui, oui. Uh, and like the rotation of crops and shit yeah oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> i also know the french word yeah of course um then we're also seeing improved transportation from farms to cities yeah like refrigeration the fucking cattle cars like i'm sorry that's a reason yes. that we have that word yes. so prominently in there mm-hmm. um but less developed parts of the world it's still very rare to this day to mm-hmm. be consuming meat i mean it's literally crazy how much meat I eat. I am not wealthy enough to have this kind of this kind of diet. It's absurd. Well, you are because of where you live. Yeah, like it's, truly. That becomes your kind of like... Yeah. It's just crazy though. Like if we lived in other places, we would not see this kind of meat. And it's also mm-hmm. really interesting. I was reading this article. This is totally tangent as well. But it was discussing what different countries recommend for like the food pyramids basically. Oh. Or like not food pyramids, but like their, their nutritional information that they get. I'm obsessed with the food pyramids. It's... <laughs> so interesting because they're really just reflection on cultural values absolutely and like if you look at others it's they have not nearly any sort of like they don't give a shit about meat in the same way that we do in north america and they also don't give a shit about milk because that's the dairy industry because dairy industry funds the food pyramid it's in canada at least it's like dairy and bread like oh Mm -hmm. my goodness i could i think we've talked about we've talked about this we don't need to get back into it but basically it's a whole crock of shit (laughs) um and if you look at other countries you see that they don't value this especially like okay they did one for i think it was where was it? Was it Nigeria, I think? Mm. And they were like, it's mainly about like getting like good starchy foods and like lots of grains and like that sort of stuff and like mm-hmm. vegetables. And then it's like, and some meat if you want to, I guess. If you can. Yeah. 
Interesting though, hey? Yeah, meat or like, yeah. Yeah. Legumes. They legume. So let's talk about vocabulary. Ooh. The English word meat not always meant animal flesh. Oh, I, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Like, because there's like nut meat. And yes, like, that's exactly. Meat. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> its evolution indicates a shift in the eating habits of English speaking people. In the Oxford English Dictionary's first citation for meat around the year 900, the word <sighs> meant solid food in general in contrast to drink. A vestige of this sense survives today in the habit of referring to the meat of nuts. Yes. There we go. I love it. Yep. It wasn't until three, uh, 1300 that meat was used for the flesh of animals, and not until even later that this definition displaced the earlier one as animal flesh became predominant in the English diet. So what were they called? I mean, were they just like like animal-specific before yes. that? Yeah. And you know what's really interesting, too, is we see um, like French mm. influence in terms of like what we call certain dishes because of like their like basically wars throughout time but it was like okay you used to call things like um you would call it beef because it's buff but it's really it's cow, cow. or cattle well and that's that's class that's class right mm-hmm. there right because mm-hmm. it's the upper classes who were eating mm-hmm. the meat of it were french speaking because like french is the language of the upper classes even in britain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so then the people who are yeah it's wild, right? Yes. So, like, in, instead of calling it a swine, you're calling it pork. Pork. Yeah, or yeah. and mutton. Mm-hmm. 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 Interesting, right? I love it. One sign of this preference, like, changing from, like, less meat-based to more meat-based is mm-hmm. in uh, Charles Carter's 1732 Complete City and Country Cook, which devotes 50 pages to meat dishes, 25 to poultry, 40 to fish, but only 25 to vegetables, and a handful to breads and pastries. Wow. So... It's like the proof is in the pudding, but also there's not enough pages for the pudding. Um, Yeah. So up until the 1970s, meat has been dry-aged. Now we're getting back to the dry-aged at all. Oh. So. Always. Yeah. yeah, I mean. Everything. Of course it's always dry-aged. Because because no one has refrigerators. (laughs) Like, it's absurd that we're treating this as though this is like this big new invention. Mm. This is how meat was consumed. And it's also really interesting when we look at the ways that the consumption of meat has shifted so significantly. In that if you look at ancient cookbooks or like older cookbooks from like Victorian era or whatever, yeah. stewing, that's the number one way you're doing it because you're eating meat that is aged longer because predominantly it's from rural areas where you are using that animal. Like say you have a cow, you're using that cow for milk and then you're using it for X, Y, and Z. You're going to use it to pull some plows. Then when it's finally no use to you, alive, you kill it and you eat that meat and you have to stew it because you need to break it down. <laughs> Whereas and now, and because you don't have, you know, you need to make the meat last. So it's probably exactly. like sitting in your root cellar or whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so interesting on that. So anyways, 19th century, let's look at the art that we're getting. Or, yeah, 1970s. But let's look at the art that we're getting to depict, like, dry aging. 17th mm-hmm. century painter, Rembrandt. What do we have here? The slaughtered ox, which is just a slaughtered ox uh, in a dark butcher's chamber. Red meat marbled with yellow fat. Then it's the butcher's wife in the background. Yep. Like, that's a very classic image. And again, we're not painting things here that are not the everyday. That's an everyday image. Oh, just, that's... Like, meat hanging. That's the epitome of, like, the the Danish... Mm-hmm. No, Dutch. Mm-hmm. Of the Dutch school there. It's, yeah. like, it's that still life, and all of it is meat age. Like, it's meat aging. It's mm-hmm. food slowly rotting because time is of the essence. Yeah. And, 
Huh. Isn't that interesting? Yep. Anyways, 19th century beef and mutton joints would be kept at room temperature for days or weeks until the outside was literally rotten. <laughs> the French called this multification, and the great chef Antonin Carême said that it should proceed as far as possible. <laughs> Horrible. I love it. <laughs> Anyways, then you get vacuum technology invented, the food industry changed its course. So-called wet aging was adopted. It enables a faster maturing process with the benefit of having less weight loss. So let's just, I mean, you know this, but just in case everybody doesn't. I, I, I should know it more than I do, but yeah. So dry aging, things are in a temperature controlled room, the humidity um, and all of that, like all the factors around the meat are kept consistent. Mm -hmm. It is either hung or on racks because you want the air to have contact with it, of course. Yeah, oxygen, it's producing that. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you're losing oxygen because it's evaporating, which is meaning that the meat is gonna have a more intense flavor profile because you have less water to dilute it, but also because the enzymes are breaking down and you're creating new flavors because of those chemical reactions. Yes. Whereas if you're wet aging, that goes into a cryo bag, it just sits in its juices. Obviously, the enzymes break everything down, which is fantastic. So you have a really, really tender cut, which again, this is a very new way of doing meat and you're having new cooking techniques based on this because you don't need to tenderize it because things are slaughtered so much younger, which is again, part of the industrial revolution because we don't have the time to keep that meat there. You are raising it, killing it, selling it. Yeah, it's capitalism. It. Yeah, it's capitalism, baby. What year is wet aging? Do we have that? Not the specific year, but it's about the 1970s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Again, very late in the game that this is Really? Been, yeah. This, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like, they didn't really have vacuum. Bag. Yeah. And, like, you just couldn't, like, consistently be doing this. Like, it wasn't something that would be overarching. Like, maybe some places would be able to try doing that. Mm-hmm. And, like, yes, you have refrigeration and that sort of stuff, but that's what's prompting... Um, the younger like kill dates basically it's not necessarily what's doing the wet aging totally like i said changes the flavor profile when you are dry aging versus wet aging Uh because like i said no oxygen or no water more chemically shit happening there um let's see dry aging also involves restricting bacterial growth and encouraging the growth of beneficial molds so during the entire process of dry aging beef molds from the thamnidium are found on the surface of the meat did you like how I didn't even stutter over that? I did, actually. Thank you. I was very proud of myself. I'm not, sure if I'm, I'm not sure I'm saying it right, but I practiced a lot beforehand. I like that. That would be an incredible name for a firstborn child. Truly. All right. Tham? I love it. Tammy? Oh! You're named after the mold that turns dry age delicious. <laughs> Honestly. If you're a butcher, you should. Eh. Um. Anyways, so Thamnidium, it's the most desirable of molds. It appears in pale gray patches called whiskers on the fatty part of aged beef. So and then do they like slough it off? They do have to cut all of this off mm-hmm. after. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But it's doing all the good stuff. These totally. organisms are important because their enzymes are able to penetrate into the meat and releases proteus and creates collagenolytic. I did practice that one too. <laughs> enzymes which break down the muscle and connective tissue. So it's also partly that it's like the meat's own enzymes, but they have the new ones coming in from the mold as well. Yeah. Um, they bring about tenderness and t- the taste that is signature to a dry aged beef. One of the things that I think is important to point out here is that it sits on the fat. This is why you want fatty cuts for dry aged beef. Dry, yes. Yeah. Because you need to have like, this is why only like higher grades of beef with which the grading system is fascinating in and of itself on a separate That's a whole other ish. Whole other episode. But um, you want things with a more abundant marbling in them because then they're actually going to be able to age properly. I wonder if this is like going to go back to our blue cheese episode hmm. where it's like you've got these molds and like the 
whatever is breaking down the enzymes of mm-hmm. the beef. And they're going to do their, like, lipolysis. Mm-hmm. No, that's literally... So they're, I, yeah. they're eating the fats. They're eating the to fats. To create more water, moisture. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 100%. Interesting. So, the growth of themnidium mold can start from three weeks after the aging process has started. Hmm. Rhizopus and mucogenera are other molds associated with dry aging beef. However, these are associated with human infectious diseases and do not provide any favorable... Uh, sorry favorable or flavorable characteristics from aging meat uh so those are the ones you want to watch out for right so this themnidium that one doesn't include spoilage but rather forms this crust on the meat which is trimmed off when the meat is prepared for cooking Mm -hmm. and if you've seen dry age you like know what it looks like you have this big beautiful normal looking like what you traditionally call like a slab of meat so let's picture a t-bone here sure we have that as it ages and that mold gets in and like starts doing it it's like sucks in because of the lack of lack of water and then you have to cut it all off on the side which is why it's so much more bloody expensive because you have less of the product over yeah there's more like the trim is just gone totally what is everyone doing with this is everyone (laughs) dredging their meat or some people trying to take a nice quick shortcut on this of course they are capitalism baby since the mid-2010s some chefs have experimented with a cook a quick or dry or sorry They've experimented with a quick or cheat dry aging by coating a cut of beef with ground koji. <gasps> yeah, that's right. That's rice inoculated with asparagus orizium. Orize? Whatever. It's a mold. To simulate the effects of traditional dry aging. The results are not quite the same, but can be achieved within 48 to 72 hours. The koji technique can also be applied to chicken and shrimp. That's kind of cool. I know, right? I would try some uh, koji sure, and shrimp. Sure, why not? Because, Anyways. like, cheap doesn't mean bad. It just no. means different. Exactly. That's the whole thing about this. And this is really like a way, dry aging, honestly, part of what I was reading this really interesting article is like, this is a way for us to make another buck on this because obviously, but like the profit margins are kind of set when you come to this. It's like, you can feed them for as cheap as you can. You can produce as much as you can. You grow them up as big as you can. But at some point you can't really be charging me more. That's why we have dry aging is because people are paying a premium for this extra time that it's spent in there. Yeah, and for the additional, like, flavors. and exactly. I mean, it's the same as everything. Yeah. Totally. Mm. Um, and then I read this really interesting article, which I'm not going to read you the whole thing, even though I literally <laughs> wanted to quote the entire thing from start to finish. But it talks about basically how dry aging is our way of, like, interacting with and, like, defeating death. Which <gasps> I thought was, like, obviously somebody really had a deadline to meet and just was, like, throw something at a wall, see what sticks. <laughs> but... Okay, let me read you this quote. Mm-hmm. Instead of valuing the animal's nearness to life, which is what we really do value in a lot of things, it's like that farm-to-table movement of like, I just killed this chicken this morning, here you are eating it. Yeah, this isn't an Ortolan situation. No, it's like we are dry-aging values its distance from the death. It creates not just a new process of meat preparation, but a whole new ideal. The ideal of uh, The idea of death has been banished from the food cycle despite being totally fundamental to it. Freshness has become such a ridiculous idea, ideal that various proteins have acquired their own mascots that work to remind the carnivorous consumer, not of the butchered carcass, but of the living animal itself, at ease in its pre-slaughter context, oblivious and as yet undismembered. Think of that stock image of a barbecue sauce label, a smiling cartoon cow or pig serving up a plate of its own ribs. It's an image that cements the authority of freshness as a metric of quality while also alleviating any consumer guilt around meat eating by depicting the animal as a willful, even cheery participant in its own demise. I'm sorry, but like it's a load of shit, but like it's an interesting concept too. Just like it is such a weird thing for us to be looking at dry aging as something of value when really everything in the food culture in the last like 20, 30 years has really shifted to like that immediacy of like it's right here. We've done a good job taking care of it. We're eating it now. 
I mean, you called that a load of shit, but I was about to be like, did I write that article? Oh, no. I 100% <laughs> think you did write that article. It screams the kind of nonsense. Uh, but also, like, it's true, though. No, like, 100%. It's such an interesting way of looking at food. And, like, mm-hmm. it's, it, yeah, like, we do. Like, there's so much immediacy in everything. Mm-hmm. And so then to take the time with. And I think we are moving back to that in a lot of ways. Like, I think about the kind of, like, the way that restaurant service and mm-hmm. restaurants in general are changing or even just like what we're valuing putting on the plate like okay mm. not to say that this is like it's just one tiny example but like the advent of black garlic and the amount yes. of times like do you remember when rural dinette was open and they would have all those gorgeous preserves on their wall and like there is such an yes like an importance being placed on like that sort of like long-term mm-hmm. action for it like you have to sit a while and let things ferment let things do their things let them get moldy let the taste develop let the flavors come through yes yeah so the other bit I will say is mm-hmm. the on average dry aging is technically done between forty or twenty twenty and forty days, which is insane. Doesn't seem long enough. But <laughs> out of all the things that I read, just guess how many days the longest one was. Two hundred and forty. We at work we're selling a two hundred day aged. Disgusting! I love it. I want to. Try it was it. like oh my god! Just I think two hundred forty is so long. It's almost like. That's like it's getting close to a year. Like, yeah. Oh, no. It's the two two thirds of a year. Oh, my goodness. It was like a 20 ounce, 200 day aged mm-hmm. rib steak. Absurd. And it was like you'd cut through it and it was like, this is riddled with mold. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was like, I mean, I didn't taste it, obviously, but I kind of, I almost, uh, no, I couldn't have. But you wouldn't have liked it. I don't know. I freaking, I love a blue cheese. I love a stink. We have been serving, like we've been having specials of this Spanish mm. beef, mm-hmm. the Rubia Gallega, which is like. It's un- free raised until it's what, like eight years old? Like re- like old. Which is again, so interesting. Cows. And then they age it for like a long time. Which you kind of have to because you have to break down the connective tissue that's totally. actually had for- time to form because it's actually been outliving. And the smell of this thing is like, it is unlike everything else. Like as soon as someone like, like walking just around the restaurant, you're like, oh, someone ordered a Rubia. That's like you can smell it. It smells like acorns and like blue cheese. I think it smells delicious, which mm. is so against my... The only reason I say I don't think you'd like it is because I've heard numerous reports and I kind of believe it myself because somebody who has eaten dry age is like, it's kind of like the meatiest of meats. Yeah. Like, it's very intrinsic to that, like, that's how meat should taste kind of taste. Well, the thing is, I think that if I wasn't a vegetarian, I'd be a complete carnivore. Mm, that's so true. <laughs> Isn't it so interesting that there's a full diet of, like, carnivorous people where they just, like, only eat meat? What? Yeah. Fuckers you... on keto? No, it's more than that. <laughs> it's actually care. carnivores. Yes. I don't think it's good for you. No, your heart's going to explode. You need to eat a vegetable. <sighs> this is why as much as we want to make fun of the food pyramids and, like, maybe their percentages and their funding are questionable, but, mm. like, at least eat a little everything. I mean, they do... Vegetables are on the bottom, right? You're supposed yeah, to eat you're the most vegetables. Always you're supposed to eat the most vegetables. Yeah, I feel like nobody wants to deny that. Anyways, that's all I have for you on Dry Age, but I just want to say thank you to the molds that make our foods delicious. This episode is for you. This whole season is sponsored by molds. And dedicated to them. Yeah. Yeah. Molds, we love you. We truly do. Thank you for making our foods stinky and delicious. Yep. Mm -hmm. And doing God's work, tenderizing that old, old meat. (laughs) And thank you, you old, old listeners. (laughs) Ah, yes. 
Uh, you can follow us on Instagram at Pantry Staples Pod. Rate, review, subscribe. Tell your friends, tell your foes. Um, and we'll be back uh, in, I don't know, a couple weeks with another tale of spores. <laughs> it's a spore and it's more of information. I won't stop saying it. No, it's the motto. Motto. It's the motto of the season. Okay, bye. Bye. Bye.